Hello, and welcome to MadeCast. This is Edmonton's design podcast, proudly produced by MADE, Edmonton's not-for-profit design society. Today, we acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis peoples. This podcast series is brought to you by Dialogue. Dialogue's integrated team of architects, landscape architects, interior designers, and engineers have meaningfully improved communities in Edmonton for over 60 years. I'm your host, Cody Johnston. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Pollock. This week, we are bringing to the podcast Amanda Lawanga. Amanda is an engineer turned interior designer in the Edmonton community. Yes, this was my first time meeting Amanda, and I totally enjoyed this fantastic conversation full of knowledge and perspective. She is a professional engineer who holds a Master's of Architecture, and most notably, she is the founder of Linger Design Studio. Amanda's evocative, textural, exciting, and courageous work can be seen all across Canada. Amanda is an interdisciplinary master, a spark in our design community, and an absolute joy to talk with. We discuss Amanda creating her own company and filling a need that she found in the industry. We briefly touch on the environmental impact the design industry has or is known for, and what Amanda is doing by creating her own furniture line using cutoffs from companies in the area to promote a positive change. I'd like to thank our sponsors for today's episode. Hodgson Schilf Evans Architects, Rockcliffe Pierschilo Croman Architects, HCMA Architecture and Design, and as well, GEC Architecture. So a major shout out to those architecture firms helping support the design dialogue in the community. Please sit back and enjoy our conversation with Amanda. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for coming to talk with us today. My name is Cody Johnston. I'm the chair of the MADE board right now. And Stephanie Pollock is a board member on our MADE group as well. And we are interviewing Amanda Luanga of Linger Studio. So thanks, Amanda, for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate um, you guys looking out for local designers, architects, engineers, people that are creative in our city. And uh, I appreciate the efforts um, it takes to collaborate with other people in a similar industry and uh, really look for ways to promote, cross-promote each other. So thank you so much. Yeah, it seems like we're riding the same wavelength. There's, there's so many questions to ask, but let's start with a little bit of an introduction from yourself about uh, who you are and uh, what you do. Okay, so as you said, Cody, I am a local designer here based in Edmonton. I have uh, my office in Sherwood Park and I'm the founder of Linger Design Studio. Our objective is to really sync up um, environmental systems, built systems and interior systems in a way that produces really meaningful spaces. So uh, we approach projects from an interdisciplinary uh, standpoint, which means that we're thinking about the site, the engineering, the architecture, as well as the interiors, in a nutshell. You started as a professional engineer, correct? And so has that kind of naturally progressed? You started in one and then you saw a need uh, with integrating other industries or other professionals? Definitely. I started as an engineer, uh, but one of those odd engineers that thought more about color and texture and pattern and all those things in the middle of my career. So I spent about um, 11 years as a professional engineer. I still am. I still am licensed. But I found that there was a distinct gap in the way that these three disciplines, engineering, architecture and interiors, um, didn't necessarily have continuity between the disciplines. And what I mean by that is that your engineer will go in and they're thinking about the site or the structure. The architecture will, and then they'll pass the baton on to the architect. The architect's thinking about the structure and the sight lines and um, this, you know, what the building will look like. And then they'll pass the baton on to the interior designer. And so sometimes there's a lot of information and opportunities missed by having those conversations siloed. And so that's where we found a gap or a need within these three disciplines to have a 
a broader conversation, but a conversation that knit all through three of those um, vantage points or lenses together to make spaces even more uh, meaningful or built um, in ways that seem to transcend uh, those needs. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. How did you, like, literally, how did you make that transition from engineering to interior design? My goodness. Um, I, it was a leapfrog process, and I think it was one where I kept on hitting walls, in, not necessarily in my career, but there wasn't a name for what I wanted to do. I started off as an environmental engineer, really got an understanding of um, ecology, ecological systems, how we can apply technology to problem solve, um, but I found it wasn't creative enough. And so I did my master's in architecture, and again, the architects were thinking about buildings and starting to think about the transition from uh, built systems to social systems, but it stopped at all of the aesthetic parts. So I really just blazed my own trail and made my own discipline, if you want to call it, that it takes a little bit of all of my experiences, a culmination of those three um, into something that I can provide for my clients. So in some sense, I haven't found many other people that do what we do. Um, and of course, I'm not capable of doing all three fully um but i found that I'm, i've just kind of paved my own way and it's i've landed on my feet every time and do you have primarily customers here in edmonton or are you kind of scattered more throughout the country like how how do you serve people and do you find that people come to you because you can do all three oh that's a good question so i would say um 50 50 i do love projects that are based here in Edmonton. Edmonton's a beautiful city. People are so generous and hardworking and I love their, their work ethic. Um, but as I continue to expand what we offer, um, I've had clients come to us from uh, Montreal and Toronto and Ontario or Ottawa, and uh, we're looking to expand into BC as well. So in 2021, we are looking to uh, serve clients across the country, but of course that, the, that, presents new challenges when it comes to understanding the site and local ecology and all those things that you need to spend time doing in order to really um, design spaces that are meaningful for that specific context. Um, that said, every project is different and so some clients will come to us for an interior conversation and that's fine. Other clients come to us for conceptual design and architectural design, and then other ones just want to understand more about their site and the potential for that space and, and what they want in there. So um, ideally, we would be able to serve clients in all three capacities, but oftentimes it's one or two um, of, those, of those offerings that we can provide them. And we're fine. It's more of an a la carte experience, but um, we're just here to serve. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. How do you find... I mean, how do you find, because I know Edmonton is a very uh, uh, sort of a blue collar region. It's a bit of an industrial type of region. And, and you know, we, we, we wear that with pride. It's sometimes it's harder than uh, other days to deal with that uh, reality. But how have you navigated that territory? I mean, the, the designs you do, and uh, have, we'll get into it later about encouraging people to where they can go look at your work. But the designs that you do are, are I don't know, in one way, in one word, like, they'd be very different, you know, and I love them because I love that textural, that like very, um, I don't know. It just, it just makes me feel like I want to touch it and smell it and sit on it and, and lie down on it or, and, and like crawl around on it and feel my skin on these things. So how do you find navigating a very pragmatic culture here in Edmonton with a uh, wild and bold designs? I know I, that is such a good question. And I find that, um, I, I approach my design philosophy in two different ways. Of course, it's the client's project, it's their home, it's their professional building, so on. And so I'm often having those conversations where I know I'm pushing boundaries, I know I'm pushing my clients. Oftentimes, they'll look at me like I'm a bit crazy until they realize it. Um, and one tool that oftentimes, I'm sure you guys both use it, uh, is the idea of renderings to help really bridge the gap between what you see in your mind's eye as a creative, the potential that that space has, and really bridging the gap for the clients. Hopefully they walk through over that bridge to find something that really makes sense. 
Um, so renderings are one tool that I've been using a lot to help uh, with that process. And oftentimes, even if I have a big, bold, beautiful vision for my client spaces and they just can't quite make that leap, I'll oftentimes, you know, complete the project off. We're all happy, sign it off, um, do the install, and then go back to my um, 3D rendering artist and say, do it this way. This is the way I would have done it because sometimes you have to build it before they come. And so uh, it's my, for my creative, um, as a creative outlet, I often will go back to certain projects that I knew had beautiful architecture, just needed a bit more um, texture, pattern, color, and all that stuff. And then I'll be able to, you know, revive it and, and post it into, um, you know, my, my portfolio or gallery as a, a fun piece that uh, still hopefully is bait for those other clients that have a little bit more capacity for, for color and texture and, and um, bold artwork. While we're on this topic, would you mind sharing where you get your creative influence from or how you start or, you know, when you meet a client and they're talking about their space, is there a word? Is there an image? What is that like for you? That is a good question. Um, as a designer, I, and I think it's probably not very unique or interesting, but I do find a lot of inspiration from nature. Um, I'm a spiritual person, so I often look at nature being like, wow, such an amazing, the world's greatest artist made this for us to enjoy. Um, and I just, you know, sit and soak it all in and, and try bring that energy into the places I design. That's my point of view, but it has to match my clients. So oftentimes, even before we talk about, you know, what we're going to design in the space, I'll ask them, you know, we'll pour a glass of wine, I'll come over, we'll do a Zoom call, and I'll just ask them about their most vivid experiences. I'll ask them about their favorite vacations. I'll ask them about their, um, you know, their heritage, just to draw out things that are meaningful to them so that as they have conversations and they tell me about, well, yeah, we spent, um, you know, every summer, at my parents' cottage in the south of France, then I can say, okay, let me, I write, <laughs> let me go and mine out what that experience would have looked like. What are the textures they would have experienced? What are the colors? And so it's not just a matter of me saying, hey, this space needs, um, you know, gold wallpaper. It's saying, hey, this space needs gold wallpaper. It's reminiscent of that, you know, China set that you used to use when you're in the south of France. And so we can build meaning into really bold aspects of design and have it um have that uh resonance for the client as opposed to it just being simply crazy for the sake of being crazy it's it's meaningful and then they that's where we get the buy-in is understanding that we can surround ourselves with beautiful things but we can you know up the ante by surrounding ourselves with beautiful things that have meaning so that we're not filling the landfill with you know the latest trend and so to me oftentimes people ask well you know how do you keep up with design trends i don't i actually hate them and i'm sure you guys are the same way it's about what's meaningful and if you can put it in such a way that's um unique and interesting and evocative then you get the best of both worlds i really like that you said yeah it's not about the trend it's about resonating and the impact and that you know that's that's totally how you get the buy-in so yeah i i love that you said that yeah there's a there's a sort of um timelessness that we all try to achieve uh with our designs and things like that to have them last you know more than more than the lifetime of of a single user or a single client even so and it's always that balance of of being interesting enough that you're on trend but then being uh you know durable quite frankly and all these other types of words that that it'll actually last and the client will actually want to have that thing around for a while so mm-hmm. props to you on that one thing i was thinking about when you were mentioning those items was social media and like instagrams platforms like that are very trend driven quite frankly not to say that designs that aren't trendy but timeless you know don't hit instagram but what what do you find the role is of a social media or Instagram specifically, uh, Facebook on, on your design practice and design and architecture in general? Oh, that is a fantastic question. To me, the role of social media, at least the way I use it, um, is to really communicate my musings to my clients. And so oftentimes I'll be looking at other creatives in our city, in, um, you know, across, really across the world and pre-curating to me the best of what um, 
the design community has to offer. And so, yes, it is consumer driven. It's, you know, entertain me now or swipe. Um, but at the same time, if someone lands on my page and they see, um, you know, pre-curated items that tell a story. And so to me, as far as my brand and my business, you know, sustainability is important. Beautiful, interesting, evocative designs are important. Supporting people locally and internationally that do fantastic work are all really important. So um, at on a superficial level, it's pretty colors in a pre-curated, you know, feed with tiles that aren't too busy and all those, all that um, <laughs> alchemy that comes with creating a beautiful Instagram feed. But then further and, and more deep um, into that is every post. I'm speaking to my client. I'm speaking to my ideal client. I'm, um, you know, talking about sustainability. I'm talking about a working entrepreneur, a professional, being a visible minority, all those things. So they can engage at whatever level they want. The end goal is to have them really read the content and understand that, you know, some, every post that's made is made with intentionality. But if they're not definitely not in the mood and it's 3 a.m. and they just want to have some visual candy, then that's that's where we meet them at, too. I'm always down for some visual candy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We all need visual candy sometimes. So, yeah. Well, I guess I think this is a perfect segue into if you could discuss your most recent project you had with the vignette series. I read a little bit about it and I wanted to just ask if you could maybe share your concept and then share your experience being part of that group. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it is a fantastic segue, especially since, um, so 2019 vignettes design series often has a theme and in 2019, the theme was muse. And I really, I, struggled with the idea of how do I have an interesting muse that's not, um, you know, not cliche, but I didn't want to choose a character. I didn't want to choose an icon in art or fashion. I wanted it to be um, loose enough so that I could really push design boundaries without having it be like, you know, a certain person that's pasted all over the wall. So. Uh, my team and I, I collaborated with Ridgeline Developments and Cass Miller, um, a local artist here, and we came up with the concept of instead of choosing a muse, we wanted the person that visited the space, so each person that came into the space, to realize that they were our muse. And on top of that, it was really a satire and a celebration of Instagram culture. So with that, we created a lot of opportunities for selfies, um, a lot of, you know, background images where people, we wanted them to be posting and taking pictures and, of course, promoting our work. But more importantly, for them to kind of walk out of it there, that space being like, oh, um, who was the muse only to realize that they were. So we applied a lot of mirrors, we applied a lot of color and texture. And then we went um, in and did some fun things with mirrors, curved mirrors, um, as an ode to our use of, or overuse of filters, um, you know, nipping and tucking and, and, you know, making sure that we're putting our best foot forward. But that really cool part about the curved mirror is that you, if you were off tilt, um, all of a sudden, you know, you'd have, you'd have like a, six foot nose or your ass would be like three times bigger than it needed to be so it was just a satire of how we try so hard to put our best foot forward and if we misstep you never know um really inadvertently how you're being projected but to some extent it was like do we need to go to such extents um to present this really unreal version of ourselves um, another part was these spinning mirrors where we had different colorful filters again um talking about the use of um you know visually uh, having our backgrounds appear more colorful and vivid than they are, but oftentimes if we just flip it, sometimes the the way things are as they are without all of the airbrushing is just fine the way it is. So anyways, it was a really fun project um, just to be able to play around with the idea of our use of social media, our celebration of, you know, <laughs> generation narcissist, but just have fun with it. Very cool. Very cool. So there are a couple elements in there that I want to ask you about specifically. One is about the paintings, which I think I've seen pop up again and again in your work. And I, and I want to ask where those come from, if there's an artist or, or, or whatever the case may be. And then the ceiling, and especially the ceiling and the light combination. Where? Where and how? 
Um, okay, so I'll start with the artwork. The art was done by Cass Miller. She's a fantastic art artist, and she also owns um, Studio Yeg Art, where it's an uh, interactive art gallery slash um, paint night studio. Private, They could hold public and private events. Um, and so really funny story behind this, but I'd asked her to make the painting of, a, you know, um, an androgynous... Two people that were androgynous looking, you couldn't tell if they're male or female, just so that we could, you know, superimpose mirrors and have people be able to see their reflections. Wires got crossed and then turns out that she had painted a big painting of myself. And of course, she had her husband. And so to me, it was a few weeks before opening day. And I'm like... I can't be that designer. It's about, I don't want people to think I'm the narcissist. It's a, it's a satire of the way we interact. And so I, it was a very come to Jesus moment. And it worked beautifully because at the end of the day, half the people didn't realize it was, but then it really drove the point home um, that, you know, we are, we do use social media and we do um, find some form of, um, gra- not gratification, but self-discovery through not being ashamed at our use of social media or taking selfies or really exploring, like, how do how does the outside world view me? And so to me, it was very humbling and really funny because I, I, <laughs> I was just, my jaw was on the ground and I couldn't speak for a good day and I didn't know how to tell her to change the painting, but it really um, solidified the concept. So, Kath Miller, thank you. <laughs> Well, it's not every day that somebody gets to uh, see somebody paint a three, four foot painting of their face. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I should have been lucky there. I should have clued in when she said, well, can I just take a picture of you for like, for for the mock-up? And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Anyways, it turned out well. Um, and so onto the ceiling. The ceiling was representative um, of a few things, I think. I wanted to have an element of surprise, not that there weren't already enough surprises in that room, but as people walked in through the the tiered arches, um, I wanted to kind of pre-choreograph their their visceral responses and also um, where their eye went. And so the last point is where you'd uh, circle into the room, go over the arches, uh, make your way to that curved mirror, and as you're coming out then you'd kind of be hit with that spiked blue ceiling um so it's just kind of a reminder that sometimes life is you know uncomfortable has friction is is spiky and not necessarily ugly but oftentimes if we change our vantage point we can turn some experiences that are not so pleasant or some parts of ourselves that aren't so polished um into something that is really our best selling feature and so yeah i wanted to have that you know cobalt blue ceiling represent um you know just the the less polished parts of ourselves but really if you put some um if you change our vantage point then it can kind of turn into our best our best assets yeah it's it's funny you say the word ugly because i i have a positive reaction to that word and i think that's something that we as designers can maybe say to each other but it's it's very risky when you say it in front of a client but <laughs> I do like that people not being afraid to do something ugly, right? Like to do something like that's, that's strange. That's different. That's weird. That's odd, whatever it may be. And just going for it. So. Yeah. 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 Adds tension, right? It adds tension to the space as opposed to have everything, uh, you know, being crisp. And- crisp. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I know you got to, I'll ask just one more quick question. Then I'll let Stephanie ask another one, but I know you sent us another project just before this and you, and you actually, it's, on the main page of your website as well. Do you want to talk about that? It's, it's, I think it's a living room with, with sort of a red aura and, and very, very textural and, and pattern uh, oriented. So, Yeah, that was a fun project. It was more of a conceptual musing for myself and I was asked to define uh, my personal design aesthetic. And for me, I, again, being as a designer, and you probably both really appreciate this, our job is to understand and appreciate a variety of different aesthetics and understand them not necessarily from just a, a visual standpoint, but the history and you know the the building blocks of what that is. So when someone asked me what my design aesthetic is, I initially struggled with it because I feel like by um, design we're meant to be a bit of style chameleons. Um, Long story short, going through this exercise, I was just no holds barred designing, and then I showed it to a friend who described it as brutalist, maximalist, modern, 
eclectic. And I was like, okay, that's a lot of words, but sure, let's run with it. And so the space is really um, a place now that we're deep into COVID and, and socially, we're never going to go back to the way things were. But as a working professional, I wanted to design a space um, for that power couple that is busy. Um, they loved, you know, going to restaurants. They loved eating locally. They loved experiencing, um, you know, cocktails and all those beautiful things about the way things used to be about a year ago. Um, but now we no longer have that as, as easily as we want it. So I designed this den area for them to really have a boutique um restaurant experience but in their own home and so we have deep moody oxblood walls we have uh beautiful light fixtures and and interesting art and really it was their way of bringing all those things that they have limited access to into their own space um to recreate that for themselves in a way that uh was different yeah it's almost like that you brought the cocktail bar home for them <laughs> nice one i'm getting burner pant and vibes from it oh nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah so to some extent perhaps i that was a bit of uh, pipe dreaming because my basement is uh currently under construction and so i'm thinking i'm like yeah i need a little bit of a uh you know edmonton restaurant experience in my own basement because i do miss that i'm sure you guys do too well, why stop at Edmonton and go for the South of France restaurant experience? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Amanda, I saw, I think I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you at one point say you were going to be designing furniture? Yes, yes. We are, um, it's in early days, but again, back to that conversation around sustainability and as designers, we have a responsibility to hold the mic, especially when it comes to the way things are manufactured, because we're that golden goose. You know, we are speaking to our clients, we're promoting certain products, um, and then we're also, you know, working with our trade partners in um, bringing out their products to market. And so really we're influencers in a way that says, if there's something about our industry that we want to change, uh, who not more so than us as designers to change the narrative. And so I have a love for natural stone and oftentimes they're probably one of the most expensive surfaces you can put in a commercial residential space. And working with local stone suppliers, um, I noticed just these, this huge gap between their number of offcuts and beautiful offcuts that are usable, not necessarily in uh, large format applications like countertops and, and vanities, but potentially in smaller furnishings. And so we're in the process of prototyping um, a furniture line that talks about sustainability from a standpoint of taking these beautiful offcuts, some of them very, very expensive, and applying them onto uh, furnishings that can still be, you know, provide um, beautiful interest in ways that, again, going back to clients, you know, oftentimes it's a push to say, hey, let's install this, um, you know, pink quartzite on your counter if it's not very timeless. But sometimes those conversations can easily be had when it comes to something smaller, like a, a piece of furniture. And so to me, it's also kind of bridging the gap between the need to have really interesting natural um, elements in the space, but not necessarily having to put them on large surfaces in case, you know, it's too big of a, a aesthetic jump for our clients. And it's a great way to, um, just complete like that circle in your in your community, right? You're giving local businesses, businesses and an opportunity for them to be more sustainable and you're allowing your clients to purchase something locally. So it's a win-win-win for everyone involved. Yeah, I trust it. So, <laughs> there's a few uh, challenges we still have to, you know, overcome, but um, hopefully 2021 we can, you know, do a product lunch and, and uh, have the concepts come to life more. So cool. It'd be so nice in, if, if in 2021, it was, that's the year where everybody took the chains off and was like, you know what? I don't need to have a plain boring house. I'm going to be in my home a lot more. I got to have a fun room. <laughs> I got to have a bit of insanity over there because that's where I need to go and be calm or whatever it is. So. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully actually 2021 will be full of surprises. I know that you guys probably feel the same way when it comes to 
Um, but good surprises because we've dealt, dealt with the, oh my goodness, um, that sucks. But hopefully 2021 people come out of uh, the gates um, a little bit more primed for living life a little bit more vividly. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, who around Edmonton kind of inspires you these days? Uh, you know what? There are several uh, artists, makers, architects, builders, uh, land developers, all from a sliding scale of macro to micro that I feel are doing such amazing work. I'll start from a macro scale and um, a land development company called Belgian, I'm sure you've heard of them both, uh, are leading the charge when it comes to uh, not just creating beautiful buildings and designing them, but really the conversation around adaptive reuse and what that means to take something that is a historical building, something that's maybe derelict and um, not celebrated and reinventing it and, and reinserting it into our landscape and building something really unique for Edmonton. I know that, you know, the Vancouver's and Toronto's and Montreal's all have vibrant um, conversations and spaces around, uh, you know, places that that uh, have meaning. And Belgium has really led the charge when it comes to reviving uh, older buildings in White Avenue or downtown. And um, I have so much respect for what, the, what they do. Uh, yeah. From sliding scale down to, you know, interiors, there's so many different talented uh, interior designers here in our city and architects. Of course, Stephanie, I'm sure you produce lovely work. I've had some time to kind of sleuth the internet. Um, but Edmonton, though it's blue collar, though, you know, we're hit hard, number one, just because of COVID, but the oil industry, I feel that the spirit of Edmonton is so resilient and I love our arts and culture community because we're not necessarily tied to um, really corporate polished design conversations. And I feel that, um, you know, the spirit is more collaborative so we can really make our, our own culture and we're in the process of doing that. And of course it constantly evolves, uh, but other smaller scale artists more um, that deal with uh, painting. Again, Shanna Wilson uh, is a fantastic artist. I'm sure you've seen her work, uh, world renowned really. And for her, it's not just, you know, beautiful portraits, but she is having evocative conversations around her subjects and what it means to paint the people she paints and, and, uh, honor them in that way. Uh, another fantastic artist is Kion. Um, again, it's amazingly talented. You wouldn't ever a guess that he didn't necessarily have formal training, but he's a savant when it comes to uh, being able to capture people and emotion. So um, I feel really blessed to be surrounded with so many different artists that have different mediums. And I see us as designers in that same right too. You know, we're not painting on canvas and, and um, you know, acrylics or oils, but we have other tools that we can use to have the same types of conversations with our community. Twenty twenty has brought us challenges, but it's also brought a lot of things to light. I think, and you know, I'm a straight white male. I have all the privilege in the world, right? So I am curious what your perspective is on you know uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and what it means to be a woman in the industry and and all these perspectives that I that I don't have. All I can do is try to give voice to people and and listen and work with. You know, it's it's not even about because I know a lot of people talk about indigenous people and what we need to do for them. And it's, and it's not even like what we need to do with them. The whole conversation needs to start with, we need to listen to them. We need to figure out what's going on. So, so I guess I know in a previous interview, you had talked about this kind of stuff. And I uh, saw a post that you had made about sort of your, uh, your feelings at the time. But yeah, I guess like, where do you sit? Like, where does our design society need to focus? And what are the challenges that face? That is such a good question. I feel that um, there are two kind of prongs or two parallel conversations that are happening, especially since the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement has gained traction in a place like Canada, in a place like Alberta, where we know we're not dealing to the same uh, volume as the, the states are with some of those conversations, but they're still very relevant. And so right now we're dealing with um, media and exposure and promoting, you know, people of color, promoting businesses owned by people of color. And so I commend 
people like you, um, non-for-profits and, and um, magazines and uh, television outlets that are doing what they can to uh, look to promote uh people that are making an impact in their community that are visibly visible minorities. So that's one thing. And I feel that that traction is definitely um, increasing, which is good. Uh, parallel to that is a conversation around opportunities professionally. So now I'm seeing an uptick in the number of colored faces I'm seeing, and it's good. Parallel to that, it, it, that's kind of lagging is are the professional conversations. And I know they go hand in hand because as uh, exposure increases, opportunities professionally increase too. But I did want to make the distinction between um, visible promotion and professional promotion, and there's a time lapse between the two. As part of that, being a female in a you know male-dominated industry, especially in, when we come to um, engineering and architecture, uh, there is still a lack of opportunity that exists, but I know that it's a conversation and I don't have the answers. My experience is not going to be the same as someone that looks exactly like me that's, you know, from in a different city or in the States. And so I can only speak my truth and help to uh, build the conversation with the people around me, which I'm so happy to do with you guys. Uh, but there's still a lot of traction to be made and um it's not a slow process so we're all in it together we're all in it to learn and um i don't have the answers in the same way that potentially you feel you don't have the answers but if we are open and candid about our experiences then the answers will reveal themselves as time passes and you know the answers will be relevant for the specific context and that's fine knowing that they may not necessarily be the case and they may be obsolete in in five to ten years you know and so I think it's just understanding having the slow conversations is the most important part. The slow, awkward um, conversations where really we're not trying to get to an end result. We're trying to understand each other in a way that um, just leaves space, leaves space for ambiguity in a sense. Right. Leaves space for different voices and, and things like that. One point of what you were mentioning, you mentioned a professional, there's kind of a professional lag would you have a comment on how you could see that gap closing or yeah definitely um from a from my personal perspective um i grew up in a typical immigrant household so we immigrated here from uh, nairobi kenya and my parents said you have you know two or three career choices you have to be a doctor a lawyer or an engineer or like stop breathing <laughs> it was that it was you that much no, well, they weren't that bad. They would, of course, they, they, they wouldn't admit to that. But to me, that was my experience. Was, so as a result, there are very few creatives, from my perspective, that are visible minorities because as we, and this is just, you know, we moved here in 84, the conversation will be very different for people that moved here, you know, more recently. But I found that because of that, people in the creative realm that are of color aren't necessarily... Um, dense in volume and yes it's there are systemic conversations that can be changed but I think also too from the perspective of um, visible minorities and parents and how they have those conversations about their kids and career choices also has something to do with it even being a female and being encouraged to either you know go into a male-dominated industry and having to be really hard and you know overcompensate for you know the roadblocks you're not even facing but you're gonna face um is part of that conversation and can we still be uh you know feminine and technical and uh be working professionals and mothers and have all those things wrapped up in one and understand that all of those facets of one's person can really help propel their career as opposed to saying um you know well i can't be x i can't be um flamboyant i can't be x y and z so that I have to appear more professional than than my counterparts. So it, it, there's so much complexity in it, and I think each um, group has a part to play in that conversation. It's definitely not just, you know, middle-aged white men are preventing colored people from progressing. It's not that at all. It's so complex, and I think that um, when we're really willing to have a conversation on what part have I played in this, and I know that even myself, uh, I'm not impervious from having racist assumptions, 
I am prepared to have those conversations and I am part of that conversation too. You know, if I see someone, another professional that is of color and I see that they're being discriminated against, I have just as much responsibility to um, try and, and confront that situation more so than my white male counterpart, you know? And so we're all in it together. That's my rambling way of saying it's complex, but um, the here and the now is more important than, and to me, uh, for progress than it is about trying to rush to some end result or end solution. Right. Being patient and listening and yeah. Fundamentals, really simple, basic fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. Great. Stephanie, do you have a question you want to slide in there? But we're going to change subjects here, but um, we discussed your furniture and you said that you were going to be expanding most likely into BC in 2021. And I just wanted to know, were there any other business goals or, you know, project goals that you had in mind that get you up in the morning that you're excited about that we can leave 2020 behind <laughs> and look forward to exciting things? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, definitely to serve clients at a higher capacity and have, um, you know, projects that do transect you know, engineer, architecture, and interiors. So that's something that we're really going to be having broader conversations um, with our existing clients and, and prospects. Um, but really, every day is an opportunity to put beauty in the world. And that's what gets me up is, oh my goodness, I just landed X, Y, and Z project. I can't wait to just really put beauty in the world. Um, whether it comes in the form of some furnishings or a design space or just a concept that is what really gets me up. So I'm still, um, I hope that, you know, in 20 years, I'm still in the honeymoon phase. Um, Linger Design Studio is three years old. And so I do know that there, you know, it's a roller coaster. There'll be ups and downs, but I, if I could wish myself into um, anything in the future would be that I'm still excited to um, explore conversations around beauty and what that means to myself as an interpreter for my clients and what that means to my clients um, who are going to be living in or working in the spaces. Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> okay. And I'll just, I'll close with one more question then. So we've talked about sort of your boldness, both in, in personality and professionally and aesthetically. So I'll hone in on the aesthetic part, but how do you think Edmonton can be more bold? Is it, is it something that's, I know these are the types of questions that we always ask ourselves as designers, but uh, a lot of answers come down to the right client, the right client, uh, having the right client, you know? And, and I, not that I hate that answer, but it's sort of like, ah, it's such a bummer of a question, a bummer, bummer of an answer, because the reality is then, then I can't really do much. So not to try and swerve your answer or anything like that, but how do you think we can be more bold as a design culture? In Edmonton. You know what? I think if we're we're louder versions of ourselves, not loud in the sense that we're displacing other people, but oftentimes I feel that people in Edmonton um, are looking to each coast to see what they're doing and saying, how come we don't have that? And you're right. A lot of designers are thinking, well, I don't have the right client, so I can't put out X, Y, and Z. And to me, my challenge to the design community is if you build it, they will come. To some extent, the best movements, you know, through the Renaissance and through art is the idea of having a vision and putting it out there, whether it's physically, whether it's digitally, whether it's a conversation. And I think that if we stop looking to the other cities or the states or Europe to say, well, how come we don't have that? Then we're never going to, we're not, we're, we're always going to be trying to be, it sounds so cliche, but um, poor versions of someone else. But if we look to what is beautiful about Edmonton, what is our history? What is our lineage? Who's, you know, making impact and celebrate that? Then out of that is birthed a real distinct culture around design. And I know that there's fantastic designers and artists and, and builders already doing that. But the more of uh, the masses as in the design community that think that way, it will start being very evident that we have our own um, culture around what's beautiful and what's distinct about where we're, you know, what's what Edmonton has to offer. Hmm. 
That's a sort of a question that asks us to ask ourselves what our identity is and what we want it to be and things like that. And, and you mentioned like Edmonton lineage and things like that. And yeah, I mean, we're a young city, right? We have, we have a lot of opportunity now to even shape what that is, to shape what it is for the future. And we have the option of being, being lame and being what people assume we are as, a, as an industrial blue collar city, or we can be a crazy, uh, eclectic, brave city like like we've talked about we are like our community is yeah so. yeah yeah i agree i choose option two <laughs> right? you know in theory it's easier said than done and again it'll take some time but you're right it is about um thinking about and i know that most of us have our own design identity it's just being courageous enough to do it without um thinking that, oh, this is not current, this is not trendy, this is not what other cities are putting out, like, F that. We are we have to make our place, you know? And especially around sustainability, because we are in oil country, and the world does not necessarily look to Edmonton as leaders, but there's some fantastic sustainable practices that are world, you know, world-leading, that I feel that we kind of dumb down or we don't necessarily celebrate as loudly because, well, we're not known for that. Right. What an optimistic note. I'm thinking this is a good spot to land on. I think so too. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us, for sharing your work with us. This was so fun. I was very much looking forward to this interview. So thank you again for your time. And please let us stay connected. We'll try to give you updates on what MAID is going to be up to for 2021. But yes, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. My pleasure. And once this is all done, um, drinks are on me. We'll definitely have to meet somewhere and actually get to meet physically and and um, yeah, keep in touch that way. Great. Yeah, I'm so thankful Stephanie uh, brought, brought your work to light for me. I mean, I, I didn't know that I knew your work, but I knew your work. And I'm really glad to put a face to the work and to investigate it more because it's very, very inspiring stuff and it's very good work. So thank you, Amanda, for everything. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And now, a brief conversation between Maidcast and our title sponsor, Dialogue. Here, I press a little further and uncover a different perspective on the word ugly and how healthcare or sterile design walks the tightrope between healthy, comforting, and ugly. Hi, my name is Magda Warshawski and I am an architect in Edmonton, Alberta, and I am a partner at Dialogue. So I did want to ask you today about ugly architecture. Um, and that's kind of a hard topic to nail down. And I think, you know, within the, within the, the greater podcast podcast episode, we talk about like sort of a fuzzy stuff hanging from a ceiling and like wonky mirrors and like really like experimental, like crazy stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see in a, in a building or a house at all because it was an exhibition. But there's, there are lots of different takes on ugly and I think one that you pointed out in, in our earlier communications is ugliness that is inherent in sort of infection prevention control type of design where it's like we have to have clean, sanitary, safe surfaces versus something that's more natural, like a wood, like absorptive and things like that. So what kind of battles do you find with the term ugly or your your feeling, your subjective feelings of ugly and the final product of a safe sanitary place for healthcare? Well, I think if architecture was solely defined by aesthetic design, then I'd probably be out of a job because um, I think in the field of work that I'm in, we're really a form follows function type of sector where we we really focus on the needs of the of the patient and of the staff on the and the inner workings of the hospital to make it a safe space and how do we then um, apply a layer of you know quote unquote design in a more subjective aesthetic way on top of that um, I think one of the biggest battles um, 
that is now the pandemic has highlighted for us is the, the past, I'd say probably 10 years, there's been a big focus on creating comforting spaces that remind people of homes or of hotel rooms when they go to a hospital or a healthcare facility. So we know evidence-based design has proven to us that people recover faster when they're more comfortable. And the sort of irony of the pandemic is that we've now done all this work to try to create comfortable spaces. And now we're, we've been faced with this thing that is making us all paranoid about getting it. And, you know, we're, is there going to be a shift now to going to a more clinical, sterile type of environment that is going to make people feel more comfortable and then recover faster from their ailments? So, you know, a lot of people don't, well, they hate going to the hospital because it's got that vibe. It's got that feeling, you know, the ugliness is sort of inherent in the reason that you actually have to go to the hospital in the first place, right? Like typically there's something you're going for some type of an illness or an examination. And in some cases, a joyous thing like a baby, you know, having a baby, but more or less, you know, people don't enjoy the experience of going to the hospital. So, you know, we've been working really hard to create a comfortable environment for people. And is that gonna shift now? And is our design gonna look a little bit different? And is comfort gonna be a more sterile looking thing so that people know that they're not gonna catch something, you know, when they're in the hospital getting treated for whatever it is that they're there for. Having said that, we've been working with, you know, lots of manufacturers and really researching products that are out there and, and companies are really trying hard to make products that we can use that are aesthetically pleasing and are comforting and, you know, represent the woods and the stones and, and the fabrics that we, you know, experience in our day-to-day -day lives in hospital facilities. So I'm hoping that, you know, with research coming out of the things we've learned in the pandemic, that that'll continue to be the trend and people will feel comfort in having to attend these uh, and go to these facilities because inevitably it's the one place that people have to interact with in their life. You don't, you don't choose to go to the hospital like you choose to go to, you know, a library or a, a gallery or something like that. Like people have to go and interact with these spaces. So how can we do our best to make them, you know, comfortable in whatever the context that is post pandemic, pre pandemic, you know, 10 years from now, how does that look like? To hear more of this conversation with dialogue, follow our social media or visit joinmade.org. Special thanks on this episode to Jordan Ast for music, mixing, and mastering. The rest of the team includes Inkit Gongle, Caitlin Schultz, Stephanie Pollock, and me, Cody Johnston. Madecast is produced in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If this conversation intrigued you, head over to your favorite podcast app and show us some love. If you want to learn more about MADE, who we are, what we're up to, and how you can help us out, head over to joinmade.org.